Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. We're so glad you're here with us. We want to welcome those who've tuned in online as well. And uh, thank you for joining with us uh, together. Doesn't it look beautiful in here? We had the little elves showed up during the week. A lot of hands that made this uh, so beautiful, but uh, what a wonderful and joyous occasion it is. So this morning, we're going to continue uh, in our Advent series. Um, Advent is a season that prepares us to celebrate the coming of Christ, right? It prepares us. How many have been hit by Christmas? Right? It's kind of like, whoa, it's Christmas already, right? And, and so what Advent is, Advent is a great tool to help us to kind of slow down a moment, to not get hit by Christmas, so that we can experience Christmas the way that we are designed to experience, out of, out of love and appreciation and great hope and peace and joy and love for our Savior who has come. It's interesting, the, the four themes that we oftentimes celebrate around the Advent season are these very things, hope and peace and joy and love. You know, the, traditionally, the church over the years have always seen these themes as gifts from the Lord. Um, obviously, Christ is the ultimate gift that we celebrate at Christmas time, but with Christ came hope for a future, right? Peace with God, joy that overrides all of our circumstances, love that is unfathomable. And so along with Christ's coming that we celebrate at Christmas, we celebrate these themes of, of hope and peace and joy and love. And we join with the church over the centuries that have really focused on that subject uh, together. Last week, we took a look at the theme of, of hope, was our first theme, and we discovered a man by the name of Simeon, right? And Simeon had faithfully waited on the arrival of his promised Savior. We learned that our waiting is, is not idle laziness, right? But, but, but rather, it's an active preparation, Right? It, is, it is an intentional waiting on God, making sure we're not filling emptiness with our lives, with other, anything other than Christ himself. Now today we're going to move on to the next theme as we focus our attention on peace. I read a story um, that took place back during World War I, uh, during Christmas time. Images of, Christ, of Christmas and war don't easily fit together in our minds. The cold cruelty of war seems about as far as one can get from the warm generosity that, that flows from the holiday season. The pain and suffering of, of battle contradict the joy and celebration of Christmas. But for those who fought in World War I, Christmas arrived right in the midst of an intense global battle. Life in the trenches was, was brutal. It was gruesome. New technologies had been introduced, such as tanks, and mustard gas had advanced the military capabilities to kill even more efficiently and more painfully. This was the backdrop amidst some individuals who chose peace in the midst of the war. 
Early in the war, during December 1914, many German and British soldiers took peace into their own hands. On Christmas Eve, they, they sang and they played Christmas carols to each other across the destroyed no man's land, finding that they, they knew the same songs, even though the lyrics were different, having sung them in their different languages. And then on early Christmas Day, German soldiers, they walked across the scarred landscape, unarmed, shouting, Merry Christmas to their enemies. Allied soldiers, a little distrustful at first, crawled out of their trenches and joined them, shaking hands, exchanging gifts of, of cigarettes and plum pudding. And they joined together and they sang Christmas carols together. History.com says that there was even a documented game of soccer during this unofficial ceasefire. The Christmas truce was never repeated. Unfortunately, the, the officers saw to it by letting people know that they would risk severe punishment if they ever engaged in an unofficial ceasefire again. But in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the war, for a little time at least, there was some peace where humanity kind of put their grievances aside and they experienced the Christmas spirit of peace in the midst of war in a very powerful way. Peace in the midst of chaos. I mean, that's what happened that first Christmas long, long ago. You know, much of the Bible is written by people who found themselves in the midst of of a lot of conflict in the midst of extreme chaos. In fact, much of the Old Testament is a, a story of the people of God who were under siege and, and by their surrounding nations, they found themselves in exile to foreign countries. They were enslaved by powerful empires. And oftentimes the Old Testament writers would, were often caught crying out to God in the midst of their chaos, in the midst of all the things they were experiencing, crying out to God for peace. One of the prophetic promises is found in the book of Isaiah. Our elder Gary had shared that with, with us this morning. It addresses Israel's need for a new leader who would come and not only be peace, but be the prince of peace. They believed that God was faithful and they believed that God would keep his promises with his people. And so under the inspiration of the Spirit, Isaiah prophetically pens these words, for unto us a child is born. To the longing heart that was crying out for God to step in, Isaiah cries out, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Is a there's two pictures here that, that, that this is speaking to. Obviously, it's speaking of the, the, the peace that we would receive at the coming of the Christ at his first advent. Peace with God would be realized in the person of Jesus Christ. But how many know that peace is not in our land today? And so in addition to the peace that we have with God, Isaiah is prophesying about a day where sin will be gone, where Christ will rule and reign in the earth, and peace will be our reality all throughout the land. But this promise of God that is promised and penned by Isaiah is for a coming ruler who would, who would usher in a, a new government that would have no end. There would be a child who would be born. And they would call him something. Interesting, the, the, the reason they would call them these different names is this is what they would experience from this coming one, right? It wasn't just a name that they arbitrarily threw out there, but we would experience that he would be a wonderful counselor. We would experience him as a mighty God, an everlasting father, a, a prince of, of peace. For those in Israel, the hopes and dreams of those who listened were, were no different than the hopes and dreams of all of us who find ourselves in the midst of a chaotic world in which we live. And the cry then is the same cry today. God, would you send peace? You don't need to be on the, the news for very long to see the chaos in our world and to see how the consequences of sin is being played out over and over and over again. And there's this, this longing inside that cries out, God, send peace to the earth. This peace that would come would not be just a feeling of peace but the very embodiment of peace would come. The prince of peace. And the Jews who heard that promise, they waited. And they waited. 750 years had transpired before those words came from Isaiah, before the Christ would come. 750 years of waiting and looking and longing for the Messiah. For him to arrive and arrive, he did. To perhaps the most unlikely group of people. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke is a great passage to be reading through during the Christmas season as you celebrate and reflect on the gift that God gives us in the person of Christ. This gift is made known to the most unlikely of people. Verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. I'm sure they were. 
And the angel of the Lord said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The arrival of the king, the creator of the universe, the promised Messiah is first announced and made known to a bunch of shepherds tending their sheep at nighttime just outside of Bethlehem. Perhaps you've seen the pictures or the the little figurines of these cute little shepherd boys gathered around the manger, kind of bowing down and presenting themselves before the Christ. These cute little shepherds. But ancient Near East shepherds were anything but cute. Shepherds were considered as some of the lowest of the low in Jewish society. They were a nomadic group who would would live off of the grid and and travel to find pasture for the, the sheep to graze in. They oftentimes were single young men without children. They were not clean. They probably smelled really bad. They worked hard and long hours to earn a living. They were considered the second class and untrustworthy people. And yet, these are the people, the first people, to hear the birth announcement of the promised Messiah, the long-awaited one, the shepherds in the fields. First point I want to make this morning is this. The peace of Christ is for anyone. The peace of Christ is for for anyone. I mean, there is a sense from the very beginning of this Christmas story that, that the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that arrive with the birth of Christ is not just for the powerful or the perfected or the polished. The child who is born is for everybody everywhere. The peace that will come with his leadership and his rule is not just for the strong and the noble. It is not for the rich and the famous, but for the ones who are scratching and clawing just to make it through another day. A bunch of the shepherds out in the field. Hey, if you don't feel like you're worthy of the peace that is found in Jesus I'm going to go record and tell you, you're in good company this morning. The message of peace is for you. Notice the response of the shepherds when the angel of the Lord appears to them. I mean, you got to picture these guys. They are out in the field. There's, there's like no light pollution anywhere. So it is as dark as dark can be, right? And here they are doing what they always do with the sheep. And then all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up. They are terrified. Sheer terror. They are fearful because the glory of the Lord shines around them. 
You ever have, like, have somebody wake you up with the spotlight in the middle of the night? You're dead asleep, and someone kind of comes in and flicks on the lights, and you're kind of like, are you kidding me, right? Well, imagine what it must have been like for these shepherds in the darkest of dark places. For all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord to appear, and, and the glory of God, more bright than the sun, appears before them. And they're terrified. But notice the first words from the angel of the Lord. It says, be not afraid. Fear not. Their response is obvious fear. And the reply from the angel is fear not. Do not be afraid. I want to tell you this morning that with the arrival of the Savior comes the proclamation of those words to you as well. Fear not. Do not be afraid. You may be facing a very painful situation in your life. You may be overwhelmed with circumstances that are over and beyond your control. I want to remind you, fear not. You may be looking at a massive mountain in your life. I want to tell you, God is bigger than your mountain. You can fear not. Maybe you're facing some unfavorable diagnosis and you don't know what to do. The word of God for you is fear not. You know, 365 times those words are found in the, between the Old and New Testament. 365 times, one for every day of the year. You get up out of bed, you put your foot on the ground, and there's those words waiting for you. Fear not. God is with you. You may be anxious about what you're facing. You may have come face to face with the reality that you're not in control. You never were in control. Fear not. Why? Because as the angel said, he brings good news of great joy to all people. I don't have to fear because there's been good news of great joy for all people. You see, the good news of great joy for all people, I mean, that's the gospel. That's what the gospel is all about. It's good news for great joy for all people, even the shepherds. I mean, can you use some good news of great joy today? Well, here it is. Christ came for you. You see, you're not forgotten. He knows where you're at geographically, emotionally, spiritually. But God came for you. In the person of Jesus Christ, he draws near. Isaiah will pen those words in chapter 7 and verse 14. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It means God with us. Listen, man, when I recognize that God is with me, what can I possibly face that's bigger than God, more powerful than God, more consequential than God, right? There is nothing that I can face that is bigger than God. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God 
with us. John, in writing his first gospel, chapter one, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Speaking of Jesus, he says, and the word became flesh. That's Christmas, by the way, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. And John says, we've seen his glory. The glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The second point I want to make this morning is this, that peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God. I just want to tell you this morning, just because you're loving Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to have moments of conflict. Right? The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. If somebody sold you a bag of goods that said, listen, if you come to Jesus, everything's just going to be great. You've been sold the wrong bag of goods. Jesus even said, in this life, you're going to experience trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. There's nothing you're going to face that Jesus can't carry you through. But here's the good news. As a follower of Jesus Christ, the hard things that come, the difficult things, the painful things, God uses those things in our lives to sanctify us, to reveal his power and person and presence in our lives. In other words, nothing comes into your life arbitrarily. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. The psalmist paints a beautiful picture of of peace in Psalm 46. I want to draw your attention to that this morning. Psalm 46 in verse 1 says this, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. I like that. The original Hebrew would suggest a present, present help in trouble. See, God is omnipresent. God God is every place with all of himself at the same time. I'll just let that settle in for a moment. God is everywhere with all of himself at the same time. And so what the psalmist declared is, he says, look, God is my refuge and my strength. He is a present, present help in times of trouble. Therefore, because of that, he says, look, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth, and then he gives you, he paints a picture. Here's some things that people are afraid of. Therefore, We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. He paints a picture of utter chaos, right? He's not painting a picture of just the ocean. He's talking about the storms of your life. When it seems like the mountains and the storms are bigger than anything you can handle, he says, listen, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And just as he paints this incredible picture of the roaring ocean and the the blowing winds, he says in the midst of that, he says there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. He says the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The psalmist is declaring that no matter what storm you're going through, God is with you. And I love what he says in verse eight. He says, look, he says, come and behold the works of the Lord. 
You see, he paints two pictures here, right? He paints a picture of the roaring storm, and then he paints a picture of a calm stream. And he says, look, come behold the works of the Lord. In other words, choose what you're going to look at. Where are you going to set your hearts? Where are you going to set your eyes? Look, not at the storm, but look at what God is doing. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. In other words, listen, nothing happens outside of the the divine permission of the Almighty. And the psalmist, because God was his refuge, because God was his strength, because God was with him, he was able to declare these words that we've oftentimes found much comfort in. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted upon the earth. You want to you ever watch the news? You look and go, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why, what, the Lord, would you just send some fire down from heaven? Would you just fix this? Right? Have you lost? Like, what's going on? And God's like, listen, listen. I will be exalted among the nations. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are transcendent over your thoughts. And listen, my timing is not your timing. But the day is going to come where he will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Again, another forward look into the future of what Christ is going to establish on the earth. You see, true peace can be experienced in the midst of chaos. When we recognize that peace is not about our circumstances. It's not about how I feel at the moment. Have you discovered your feelings are very overrated? Right? I mean, they're just so overrated and inconsistent. It's about the one who is, at, who is faithful to walk us through even the most difficult of times. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Though everybody turn on you, Jesus will never turn on you. That first Christmas morning, the angels brought good news of great joy. Not only had peace arrived, but the very embodiment of peace. The Prince of Peace had come and everything was different after that. That's what those shepherds experienced in the field that day. Again, horror fills their hearts, right? I mean, they're just doing their normal, you know, day-to-day, right? They're probably at the end of the night getting ready to fall asleep. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. The heavens open up. And they're scared to death. And the angel says, fear not. And then what happens? Look, verse 13. And suddenly, there was with the angel... He was no longer alone. Look, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Notice the praise of the angels. It gets a snapshot of what's going on in the throne, at the throne of God. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom 
he is well pleased. The last point I want to make with you this morning is this. God's peace comes upon those in whom God is pleased. God's peace comes upon those in whom he is pleased. The peace of God and the pleasure of God comes in the embracing of God. Not of a religion, right? Not of anything we can do. The peace of God and the pleasure of God comes in relationship with God, creator and creation, reconciled by the blood of the cross. The scripture teaches us that the most important place that we need to experience peace is not with our relationships on this earth, although that would be nice, right? It's not in the midst of our circumstances. It's not in the midst of our, of our finances or our, our future um, plan for our, our future. That's not the most important place that a person needs to experience peace. The greatest need for peace that a person must experience is between a person and God, between creation and creator. And the greatest obstacle to peace is sin. That's what stands in the way. That's what keeps us from God. Romans tells us that, that the, for, for to set the mind, Romans chapter eight and verse six says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. What is that? It's us, ourselves. To set our minds just on us. Listen, we're not, we're, not the, we're not the center of the universe, folks. My ways, my wants, my wishes, my expectations, my this, my that. To set our mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. That's where it comes. Focusing on that. He says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. An enemy of God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And then look, he says in verse 8, those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. Cannot please God. Those who are born of the flesh cannot please God. Which is why Jesus said, you need to be born again. Being born again doesn't mean joining some different sect of church. Born again is not a religion. I don't even like the terminology that it oftentimes gets ascribed to born again Christians because how many have met some really weird born again Christians? Just saying, I don't necessarily want to be lumped in with all of them, right? And so I'm not looking for a label, I'm looking for an experience. I'm looking for life to happen. You see, I was born spiritually dead. And because I was born spiritually dead, I'm separated from God on my way to hell is what the scripture teaches. And the only way that I can avoid that is by being born again, born of the spirit, as Jesus said. It is when we put our faith in Jesus and his work on the cross as our only means of being justified by God 
Not by our works. As we've, been, we've been having such a great time on Wednesday nights looking at sola scriptura, right? Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone. This week we'll be looking at Christ alone. Recognizing that our salvation is not tied to anything that we do or anything that any organization can give us. Our, our salvation is tied to the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. And that crosses all denominational lines. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, Since therefore we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the peace that was promised came in the person of Jesus Christ. And he came and he lived and he died for us in our place so that we can be receiving end of his peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. He says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. My peace I give to you. He is our peace. He is our peacemaker. He is our peace giver. He's the prince of peace. The embodiment of peace. It's him that we celebrate this Christmas. I give you good news of great joy. Here it is. You can experience peace with God because Christ, the Savior, has come for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for stepping into our chaos. Thank you for stepping into our life when we weren't even looking for you. And you pulled us to yourself. Jesus, thank you that you came and that you lived and you died so that we might have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And Lord, this Christmas season, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that that is not experiencing peace with God, what does that mean? Well, here's the thing. If you were to die 30 seconds from now, are you ready to stand before God? If that completely freaks you out, then my guess is you don't have the peace of God but Christ came so that you can have peace. None of us are promised tomorrow. And so what do we do? We ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. We put our trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. We turn from our sin and we look to Jesus, who is our peace. And so if that's you and you've not experienced it, just in the quietness of your own heart, great time to do it. Maybe you've heard that, you've experienced that, but maybe that's so foreign. Maybe you've heard that song so long ago it's become so familiar to it, to you. I pray that the freshness of the gospel would overwhelm you this morning. The truth of the gospel would never become familiar to you. That his love for you would never be seen as expectant but that we'd be in awe of his love for us. Good news of great joy. For unto us, the Savior is born. Amen.